0: has given us Sinatra, Springsteen, and Bon Jovi. There's also a wonderful leader of a symphony orchestra in New Jersey, specifically the Newark Symphony. We're going to learn about fundraising in the art sector during the pandemic. Hi, I'm Bill Stajakiewicz. This is the first day from the fundraising school and I'm joined today by Tanisha Nash-Blair. Tanisha is the president and CEO of Newark's Symphony Hall. Tanisha, thanks so much for being with us here on the first day from the Fundraising School.
1: Thank you so much for having me, but I have to make one correction. Uh, We were once the home of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, but we have not had the symphony in residence for a couple decades now.
0: So what happens at the Newark Symphony Hall? What activities do you have?
1: That's a great question. So when I started, I've only been there a little bit more than a year and a half. Our primary business model was to simply rent out our 95 year old concert hall. So we have a 2800 seat concert hall. We have a ballroom that seats about 1500. It's pretty large. And we also have a black box. What we've been working on is actually moving us back into the business of doing our own programming and back into the business of meeting our mission
0: of um, uh, Exceptional Performing Arts. So here we are fundraising during the pandemic. We're sheltering in place. That means we're fundraising in place. What was fundraising like before the pandemic and what adjustments have you needed to make since, say, mid-March or so when quarantine orders started to pop up across the United States and across the world?
1: So before the pandemic, I had actually started what would typically be considered the silent phase of a major uh, fundraising campaign. Uh, And that fundraising campaign is anchored by $40 million just for the renovation of our historic concert hall. So before the pandemic, I was making um, the case for the support for us in a community uh, of color, in a part of the city that has not seen the sort of investment that has happened in more of the downtown core. And obviously since uh, the pandemic, I've had to really work on to continue to make the case for support of our organization. So you're in the midst of a campaign. Did you put
0: the campaign on pause or did you have to adjust your messaging and how you're reaching out to donors during this silent phase? What does that look like for you?
1: So I doubled down, doubled down on everything, Uh, doubled down on programming. In fact, we created new programming in response to the pandemic Um, program that I would like to point out was uh, included in an article in the New York Times just this past Sunday. Um, We uh, responded to some of the things that that the funders, I think, were concerned about, and not because I was doing this to uh, please funders. In fact, we actually haven't received support for the work that we were doing from any significant funder. And that work did include us uh, responding to the needs of the community with respect for facilitating food distribution, as well as personal protective equipment distribution. That was really more us responding to the community. But I think it also showed funders that we can do that, that we can pivot on a dime and do the things that might not have been considered part of our core mission, but the things that are necessary.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you redo your programming when before the pandemic, your programming involved renting out your space, having activities at your space? And I know different states have different regulations in terms of where we can and cannot go and how many of us at any given time and masks or not and and so forth. But but how do you adjust when renting out your facility has always been the, the core of your mission?
1: We became an online producer. Uh, Before the pandemic, we had planned to do a very significant fundraiser in the building, a Deaf Poetry reunion. Deaf Poetry was a show that ran on HBO for about six or seven seasons, and it also was a Broadway show, Tony Award-winning Broadway show. And we, of course, were unable to do that, even though we had a lot of great commitments in terms of sponsorship. Mm -hmm. We no longer had that commitment for sponsorship, but decided that we were going to pivot and make it an online event that would support the work that we were doing for a new program that we called Embrace Newark. And so even though we did not raise the sort of money that we would have raised if this had been a program in our facility, in our concert hall, we got national and international attention for this event. We had... 50 poets that participated, including a few celebrities. And I think that helped. Uh, and it was all in the, the, um, for the purpose of supporting Embrace Newark. And that was really how we rolled out Embrace Newark to a wider awareness. So Embrace Newark is an initiative to provide essential needs to Newarkers while also providing hope through our artistic pro- uh, programming. And that was our first major event for that.
0: So you were able to have a virtual event that uh, was able to raise financial support for Embrace Newark Uh, and you also talked about how your facility is being used for food distribution, PPE distribution, Is that part of Embrace Newark as well, or is that a separate initiative?
1: It is part of it. In fact, that's what led Embrace Newark. It wasn't the other way around. We found out that we were, through one of our stagehands, we are a union house in terms of our Mm stagehands. One of our stagehands who has been working there for decades said, you do know we have a lot of the things that I keep seeing on the news that everybody has run out of. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, after 9-11, we were deemed um, an emergency triage location. So we had things including 9,000 N95 masks when no one else had N95 masks. So we're talking late March, early April. And it was that, making sure that the city knew the tens of thousands of units of PPE, of which the masks were one example, uh, Mm -hmm. that they could come get it. Then I found myself in the position of being able to write a proposal on behalf of the city to facilitate the acquisition of some food. And I was like, "Hmm, we're doing PPE, we're doing food, Um, I need to figure out a way to bring the artists into this because I saw a great quote that in times of crisis, artists are called upon to do three things, to provide connectivity, communication, and hope. And so I wanted Embrace Newark to be an artist-activated wellness and recovery initiative for the community. And that's how we got the arts involved. It really was, again, driven by the PPE.
0: Tanisha, if you could expand on that, the the role of the artist during the pandemic. You you said that so beautifully. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Obviously, all fundraisers understand how many, many donors turn to those immediate need type of nonprofits, the food banks, the the nonprofits helping our neighbors who unfortunately lost their jobs or maybe helping in in some neighborhoods that are especially challenged either health wise and or economically during these challenging times. How do you make the case for the arts? Uh, you know, during this time to donors and the unique role that arts can still play, especially when stress levels are so high, not just because of the health pandemic, but also because of the uh, wonderful emergence of greater awareness around racial justice issues. Uh, You know, how are you making the case for the arts to donors during these historic times?
1: I think what I know is that my peers typically make this economic case, right? They talk about the number of jobs that the uh, art sector creates and how that fits into the local economy that exists. And I do repeat that, but I added another layer. And that layer is that the arts are an important part of public health, that as we're looking at this idea of wellness, that artists help with wellness, that if you look at the, cities and communities such as Newark which are challenged in many ways. The Knight Foundation recently released a study that you might be aware of and that study talked about the role that the arts play in communities and what they found is that particularly in communities of color and particularly in low-income communities which have some overlap, they might not be the same, but there is some overlap often, that the arts are one of the top amenities, the top, not one of, the top amenity that those communities want. So, again, in low income communities, the arts are the amenity that the community members so most want in terms of amenities. However, the arts are also one of the most difficult of those amenities to actually obtain. They found that the arts were fourth behind. Jobs, affordable housing, and transportation, mm-hmm. the arts. So if you look at the top four, the arts are right there. And so when you look at it that way, the arts are integral and important for the entire wellness of the community. And there's all kinds of studies that talk about the importance of the arts and wellness. And so what I say, particularly in a community like Newark, which has a lot of trauma, trauma that existed before the pandemic, that the way that we can address that trauma is by investing in the arts. With the social justice riots uh, that have been happening, righteous riots is uh, what someone described to me, We didn't put out a statement. We are predominantly uh, an organization of color. Our organization on the staff level is uh, of African descent and Asian descent. When you add our board, we are predominantly African descent, Asian descent, and Latinx. We did not put out a Black Lives Matter statement. What I said was a revolutionary act was that I was going to pay artists to be part of Embrace Newark. I thought that was the best way to support and to express my port support. I did not make a big deal about it. It's not a whole lot of money that we're paying them, but we're paying them to license work that they were already creating as part of their self-isolation experience. And that work resulted into a beautiful exhibit that we call Symphony of Survival.
0: So you said, that's beautiful and so well stated. You can see why you're having success raising support for New York Symphony Hall. Uh, but when you talk about the unique role of the arts, and just to be clear, so for people listening and viewing uh, that study you talked about was from the Knight Foundation, is that mm-hmm. correct? It so was they-
1: commissioned. It was commissioned by uh, the Knight Foundation, but I think Urban, the Urban Institute, did it. Yes.
0: So folks can look that up, and we'll link that to on, on our website on the fundraising school. Uh, on the unique role that that the arts play right up there with food and housing and and, and all these basic needs. The arts touch our heart in a unique way. They challenge us in a unique way. They inspire us in a unique way. They bring hope in a unique way. And, And what I hear from you is you are maintaining a sense of possibility, even amidst all of the challenges that we're being faced with in New Jersey, across the United States, across the world. Um, Can you just help explain how you're going about your work in that regard, having that abundance mentality on what you can do as opposed to worrying about what perhaps you no longer are able to do?
1: Well, that's our mindset at Newark Symphony Hall. We don't come from a mindset in a place of lack. We come from a mindset of abundance. And um, I I thank you for, for putting that forth because that is something that we talk about a lot uh, the way that we continue to maintain our enthusiasm is by maintaining the connection with between us. It is very much a virtual connection um, as well as to the community, except every morning between nine thirty and eleven thirty we are um, handing out food. so that is one of the ways that we are physically connecting with the community specifically the families that are part of our Children's Performing Arts Academy, which is, unfortunately, now has to be online. Um, And so that's the way that we are continuing to maintain the connection. The the staff, when they are masked up, but handing out that food, they say that it's the favorite part of their day. It's the best part of their day.
0: So making the case for the arts, repurposing the mission to meet the moment, and having that sense of possibility, knowing that still there are challenges but having an abundance approach uh during this pandemic tanisha nash is the president and ceo of newark symphony hall joining us on this first day from the fundraising school and of course the fundraising school we are now more open than ever before and as we endeavor to be your career-long colleague our courses are available online asynchronous so you can work them around your COVID schedule uh, that we all need to be flexible and most of us are working from home. Uh, those asynchronous courses are available online, of course. Uh, we hope to go back into business in the fall in person in Indianapolis. Stay tuned for details there uh, as we continue to watch federal, state, local, and of course our university Policies. We have these free podcasts. Once a month, we get together with Fridays with the Fundraising School, uh, where we just get together as fundraisers and we commiserate, share stories, talk about our successes. And coming up in January, another round of the Current Affairs Fundraising Series. We're going to be looking at where are we with fundraising, where have we been, where are we going. We're gonna be talking about how you can plan, grow, and steward your donors during this time. We're gonna have a session on uh, bringing greater diversity to your donor base with a leader from our Mays Institute on Diverse Philanthropy. We'll also be talking about donor-advised funds and steps on collaboration. All that coming up in the Current Affairs Fundraising Series in January. And we still have our current scholarship available that you can take a course from the fundraising school up to 50% off. This is all at TFRS at your desk, located online at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash The Fundraising School. With Tanisha Nash-Laird, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from The Fundraising School.